You're like so gay. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi, sexual deviants. Hi. Welcome wannabes. back. Welcome back to Queering the Air. It's us. My name is Matt. I use he, him pronouns. Are we doing that? Is that our official intro now? I don't know. I think it'd be nice. I mean, we talked about it in the first episode, how important it is to say your pronouns, so. That's true. My name is Aaron. My pronouns are he, him. (laughs) And today we're joined by one of our very good friends who we've known for years and years and... Years and years. Years! And what's your name, friend? Uh, I am Jack. I use he, him pronouns, and I have known these two bitches way too long, so we'll leave it Much there. too long. Much too long. Much too long. Our friendship ends here. <laughs> yeah, this is it. So just a little background. The three of us were all on the same team in college, so, you know, we're already branching out and bringing on some really <laughs> interesting and important guests who've seen, who might have a very different worldview as us. But since but, it's our first interview, we decided that maybe it would be good to ease into it with someone that we know in case, in case it takes us a minute to find our footing, you know? Yeah, we're prioritizing chemistry over content. It's, <laughs> yeah, mean, Jack, it your go, shitty content. <laughs> it can only go up from here, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be the first. You're gonna be great. We'll see about that. You're taking our podcast like virginity. <laughs> oh God, this is true. That's a weird way of putting it, but I went there. The first guest. You're potting our cherry. He was number one. <laughs> All right, so that was horrible. Um, good thing none of us ever want to be stand-up comics. All right, Jack, so... tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> um... What's your Tinder bio? <laughs> uh, my Tinder That's bio a great is. Question. <laughs> What's your scruff bio? Oh God, all the Those above. are two very different things. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure what the, the exact details of each are, but basically what it boils down to is if you're younger than me, I'd rather be talking to your dad. So, um, we have that. Um, <laughs> a tenet of Jack's identity. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is the one hill that I will die on. Um, I, might, I mean, it might be like the keystone of his identity. Very fair. So that's my Tinder bio. My my LinkedIn is that I do transit consulting, which is, you know, a queer creative pursuit, clearly. Um, <laughs> and, and like Aaron and Matt, I went to Tufts University and I was on the swim team. Uh, not asterisk. a diver. So yeah, swim team asterisk for um, several of my years at Tufts. And then due to my extreme speed and athletic ability i was actually asked not to return to the team so So, but thankfully me and the girls stayed in touch despite my um stayed in touch you stayed on the pool deck yeah that's we also got so much closer after you quit that's true (laughs) okay i did not quit to clarify (laughs) i was cut from the tough swim team and went on to continue being the team manager of the team, which allowed me to hang out with all my friends, stay involved with the team, and um, <laughs> not do any of the not fun stuff that came with being on the team. So <clears throat> things worked out. I say they worked out. Yeah. You didn't love staring at the center black line at the bottom of the pool? <laughs> it got old, girl. 
I mean, that's yeah. why I stopped swimming. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how swimmers could do that. I guess I should have been a diver, right? Maybe I should have done that. You could have totally oh. done it senior year. Yeah. <laughs> if could have been a diver, Jack could have been a diver. I'll cut that out. He was um, built like a refrigerator girl, like anyone could. <laughs> Just because he could have doesn't mean he should. Do you remember when he when that that diver got a concussion from doing a front jump my freshman year? He literally told Brad yeah. that he concussed himself when I was a freshman from doing a front jump off of the board. And I was like, of sis, you went in meter? feet first. No, I think it was one meter. He went in like a little bit back like this. So his head kind of went like back. But I was like, girl, what? We all know he only joined the team so he could use the varsity weight room. I'm pretty sure he like told me that. He did tell me I that. I think that, yeah, he made that very clear about himself. Yeah. So. Whatever. Hope he's doing well. Wonder where he is now, honestly. I don't care. Well, we're not here to cry over the diving career that I could have had. <laughs> this is true. What are we talking about, ladies? Jack, where are you right now? What's life where, like for you right now? Um, so I currently, unlike Aaron and Matt, I stayed in Boston post-graduation. Um, so I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, I live if you go to Club Cafe ever, you'll see him. <laughs> Yeah, any gay nightlife in Boston, um, keep your eyes peeled for me. And if you see me, I'm probably in desperate need of help. So send very <laughs> likely. Um, and just because you ca you make uh, eye contact with him does not mean you made both eye contact with him. <laughs> true, this we've got a north, northeast and a southwest at all times. So, um, but yeah, so if you're ever out That's about, an alcohol joke, not a wandering eye joke. Yes, yes. <laughs> no shade to wandering eye people. No, that's entirely my my one brain cell ping-ponging around in there. Um, <laughs> it just has to pick an eye every... <laughs> literally. Every couple of minutes, it just I mean, gotta, gotta keep an eye out for Selena at all times, so... I wreak havoc in Boston. I live with two close friends, one of which was one of the few remaining straight members of the Tufts men's swim and dive team. Um, and Who made I out with Matt? Again, <laughs> yeah. asterisk. Like, again, like, huge asterisk on that one, um, as with anyone Wait, on Wait, you this. also made out with him, Aaron? Like, once. I only made out with him once. <laughs> well, I'm Jack, did you ever make out with him? No, ew, God. He's I my mean, womb I, mate. I, mean, I also say ew, but <laughs> me too. <laughs> I cannot wait till you know we blow up and his future wife has to listen to this podcast. And she, <laughs> you think this is how she's gonna find out? <laughs> True. Yeah, he's I'm gonna make you. out with you at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's him, and then I live with one more demonic homosexual who, while not involved with. Um, the tough swim and dive team was a diver for Holy I mean, Cross. She was more of a smacker. Let's be honest. That's so rude. <laughs> Have you seen? I mean, she was she was like okay. She okay, Sam also crazy. only posts the videos of him smacking. Like I, that is true. I've never seen a video of him like completing a dive well, but that is because he is a meme. Yeah, he like. I think my understanding of his skill is completely open to interpretation, but like the only videos of I. I've seen of him diving is basically like him going through a window. Like there's no <laughs> like genuine diving content there. So 
He deleted but, all of that. He was like, I don't want to remember those. Yeah, no, no one, no one cares about his success. But um, yeah, so the the three of us live a, a happy, quiet life in Boston with our. You're lying. Uh, quiet. A miserable, noisy life in Boston. <laughs> um, Much better. Yeah, that's that's a little more genuine. Um, so no lies on this pod. Yeah, yeah. If you if you see me out and about, normally within arm's reach is a ginger monster and that is my roommate and as i said before we are both like please call both of our parents if you see us out because we're we're not doing all right so jack part of the reason that we brought you on the podcast today not only is because we have fantastic chemistry but also because we think that you would be very you'd be a very interesting person to talk about something that you have already mentioned that you hold near and dear to your heart and that is my love older, of older men. Older men. True. In all in all shapes and forms. So Do you have daddy issues? No, I don't, and God I really pray he doesn't ever listen to this the <laughs> to this podcast, but um my dad yes. and I have a wonderful relationship. You know, my Yeah, your dad is pretty awesome. Yeah, he's great. He's an elementary school teacher. He was incredibly supportive of my homosexuality throughout my life. So a little throughout I your guess, life. So maybe let's back up a little bit throughout your life. Interesting. When did you come out, Jack? Yeah, I want to so, talk about this too. I want to talk about your journey a little bit. Yeah. So I, I am now 24 years old, and I did not come out despite going to the gayest school in the nation on the gayest team in said school in the nation. Um, it took me until my senior to come out and so I guess I was 22 like had just turned 22 but Mm -hmm. um I think that is a great uh I think that is a great backdrop for saying that no matter who you're surrounded with or what is going on around you it coming out is always on your own time when you are ready true that's a great point and I I do always say you know, like to clarify with my coming out story that, you know, none of the, none of that time it took, none of the pressure was external. So, yeah. you know, everyone, everyone is operating on their own timeline. That's one of the best parts about being queer is that, you know, we are not held to this like linear structure of progression in our life. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was, you know, I needed all that time and um, that's what felt healthiest for me. But I will not say that I was, you know, completely closeted until 22. Um, And getting back to, God, I'm glad my relationship with my father already came up in this episode. But, um, (laughs) but basically, like my, me questioning my sexuality was like a ongoing conversation with my parents um, and a few close relatives through my life. But like, I, I think I once kind of asked, so I was cool. like, Dad, I, I feel like I, I cannot remember a time where we were not talking about this and where I wasn't worrying about this. And I was like, what, is, what do you remember uh, the, the first time I really, you know, came out to you was? And he was like, well, you were five or six, and there was one day where we were, it was in the summer, and we were I driving back from the beach. And he's like, you're sitting in your car seat. He's like, He's like, you know, we've been pretty quiet for like five minutes, right? And he's like, you suddenly turn around to me and you're like, Dad, when I'm on the beach, I like looking at men's buns. 
and he <laughs> turns back and he's like, you know, just again, heteronormativity aside, but he's like, do you mean women? And he was like, you were just like, nope, and turned around. And he was like, well, okay, this is my life now. So, <laughs> got a gay kid. So, so that was the start of a very long, ongoing conversation um, with my parents about my sexuality. But that. That is how I came out, was by telling my dad that I was checking out every man walking by us on the beach when I was five years old. And when you're five, everyone's older than you, so this pattern has really just always been a thing in your life. Uh, Yeah, so that was... um, Wow. I guess that's maybe the cutest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, so, and again, and back to Matt's point, right, I think there's this awful, you know, narrative in society about these daddy issues, right? And I think we'll get into some of the details about the relationship that younger gay men have with older gay men. I think it's an unfortunate side effect of some, you know, of a stereotype in some bad situations where it's always assumed, right, that it's some type of issue with your father. And I'm like, my dad (laughs) could not have been more supportive, right? And so... Don't blame him for my messiness. This came out the other night. I had a fr- my friend Milo was over, and I was like telling him about you because I was like, he's the funniest person ever, and I was telling him that you only like, or I, I don't remember why it came up. I think it maybe that mm-hmm. it was because you sent me that profile, and you were like, I don't want to talk to this boy. He's my age, and it like it stemmed <laughs> into like, oh well, he only likes men who are like probably forty and up, and he goes, oh, so he's mm-hmm. got daddy issues, and I was like, no. He was like, does he like, does he like his dad? And I was like, his dad is a preschool teacher. Like I was like, or an elementary school teacher. Like I was like, his dad is the sweetest person ever. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah. So so again, we will throughout this discussion, we will not be blaming my father. <laughs> we will be breaking my, the stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, breaking the stereotype. Yeah. But um, yeah, I have not yet had to introduce my dad to a partner who is only within you know 10 years of his own age so that conversation might <laughs> might be a little more difficult but okay uh, I mean, we don't, we don't i'm picturing to, this like, not that i want to combine my family thanksgiving with my dad's impromptu high school reunion but like that is occasionally the the demographic we're talking about here so how old is your dad for the record he's Okay, he's almost 60, so we're not like, yes, I've dabbled in the 60s, but that's not, you know, <laughs> that is not quite what I'm, you know, normally pushing. But I'm open what? to it. Any hot 60-year-old men listening to this, please, please find me on any social media you can. <laughs> just a plane ride in a wedding dress away. <laughs> and also, age is just a number. This is true. It when truly is. I will say, let me, let me. I'm going to add another asterisk to this episode. Age is just a number. Once you've already gotten to 18 and it's legal. And even then it's probably might not be the best idea. My therapist was talking to me about this last week. He was, he brought up dating in LA. Sorry, this is random, but Jack, this is perfect for you because he brought up dating in LA Mm -hmm. and he was like, it's so hard because it's like, it's such a culture of all these like older guys and everyone here is so obsessed with like youth and being young. So it's all these older guys who are like going for younger guys. But then all the younger guys are like not looking at the older guys and the older guys are like, why am I ugly? And my therapist was like, anywhere else in the entire world, these men would be getting all of the attention ever. Oh, entirely. But it's just, like, like, such a skewed reality. It is, and I think that's 
that might be something that's inherent to LA and I think we'd be lying to ourselves if we weren't saying that like daddies are having their day (laughs) in the gay community like yeah I think they've been having their day let's be honest right well and it's I think that's so interesting because there are these problematically or not influence attraction on like scales of femininity to masculinity and like Mm -hmm. social status wealth right and I think one that that seems to not have an obvious answer is like young and old because I think they're you know growing up I kind of bought into this ideal not myself because clearly I was attracted to older men right but this idea that young men were the most desirable and like mm-hmm. now any attractive 40 year old men is having to fight off you know ravenous 20 year olds coming <clears throat> after him like young is not is not synonymous with like the the hottest yeah right exactly yeah i think it's really interesting in the gay community specifically because i don't know how much of that goes on in the straight world I, i'm not a part of this well, I mean, we all are, but... The straight world is a part of us. <laughs> yeah, I don't pay attention to the straight world. I respect world. them, but I don't agree with their lifestyle choices. I don't even know if I agree with their lifestyle choices. <laughs> oh my god. But it's super interesting that, like, you know, the three of us are all around the same age, and we all, I mean, well, Jack and I kind of line up more so than we do with Aaron, but we all kind <laughs> of have, like, different... I don't want to say tribes, but like different types of men or different demographics that we're interested in. And it's we're just drawn like, to. yeah, it's just like totally wild, normal and accepted. It's not like weird. Yeah. Like whenever I talk to like straight women about like older guys or whatever, it, unless they're like established, hot, older men, the likelihood of them agreeing with me that someone's hot is like much, much lower Whereas, like, right. there could just be, like, your, like, average guy walking down the street who's, like, in his 40s. And, like, if I was with Jack, we'd be, like... Chances are we're, drooling. Like, we'd be, like, You're both yeah, drooling. We're like, we're, like, running after him versus, like, if I'm with, like, a, a girl, they may not... The chances are much less likely that they're going to even, like, agree with me. You mean because girls tend to stick to around their own ages more so? In my experience, from what I have seen with the people around me, because I don't want to yeah. generalize and not um, for everybody, because that's inappropriate. But. but I think you could also just say, like, in a generalization, we know it's not always the case. But right. generally, what we see is like a lot of women sticking to their own like age bracket. Yeah, of. exactly. Right. Or not necessarily feeling comfortable enough to like. Yeah, express interest. Yeah, express, or just appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, one reason I think that 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 difference comes up and it you know i'm sure there's a lot of things that inform this but i think when you're a gay man like a young gay man dating an older gay man you're operating on one kind of skewed power dynamic right is that you're Mm. you know and again this is not talking attraction but in society right older people tend to hold more power right so you Mm -hmm. but you're both males right so so all you're really operating on in that situation is you know an age difference um i think that that's sometimes the issue that that makes that rarer for straight couples with an age difference is that you know now you're not only operating on the Mm. age power imbalance but also a male and female you know power imbalance and i'm sure you know Mm. right and so and I'm sure there are plenty of factors affect those different situations, but that's one reason that, like, 
in my head, I think it's more common for, you know, gay men of different ages to date is that it's you're introducing one element of power to a relationship that's set up a little more balanced societally. Right. Definitely. That's interesting. I also do also want to bring up a point that I feel like, especially in, in the gay world, from my experiences, a lot of times that your your actual age of like how many years old you are doesn't necessarily line up with like your emotional or like mental I don't even like age or like intelligence maturity yeah because we're all like we're all growing in such a different I feel like a gay a gay timeline is like a much less linear timeline than right than like a, a straight person yeah I totally agree and I don't think we necessarily get to you know, because who knows, maybe, like, part of growing up and being, a, like, dating in high school or, like, middle school or whatever is, like, finding and establishing attraction with people your own age. Mm-hmm. And, like, if we don't get to do that, we just are, like, kind of have the world of men to look at and just kind of, like, wherever our mind... Fantasize and, about. Yeah, wherever we land on isn't going to necessarily be the people that we like, grew up around. And I you know, I don't know the psychology behind that, but or if yeah. that's even a thing. But some of it I don't think is necessarily psychology. Like I think some of it is just a numbers game, right? And we'll maybe we'll get into later. Like maybe it's not psychological, but it's more numbers and like, you know, thinking like Matt and I live on different ends of the East Coast and yet we still find ourselves <laughs> talking to the same men online or otherwise you know it, but that's also it because really, the gay world is just so interconnected and gross right <laughs> well and so yeah. and so that's what i'm getting at though right is like what matt was saying you know i think straight people growing up have all these options that are already mm. so near their so- social circle and like think right you take the population you're looking at for queer people you know and i i forget and don't quote or come after me for the numbers right but it's somewhere between like a a three and a five percent range that changes generationally but when you look at a large city or a large population of your of people and you're like okay cut it in half that's men take five percent of that max that's gay men take half of that number as Mm. in you know people you might bump into out in a bar and you have a a tiny group of people and so I think because the options are sometimes so your dating pool is so much smaller that I think that's you know that's one factor that influences like oh you know it doesn't have to necessarily be someone from my graduating class it's definitely um working with a, a slightly more limited dating pool I think and that goes for friendships too and you know we don't want to make this all about who we're attracted to or who we're dating you know I have I know it's not common for my straight friends to go out to bars with people who are several decades older than them, but just Mm -hmm. as a gay man, like, again, your pool to pull from for friendships is smaller. Clearly, there's already this similarity of, you know, the, the growing up gay experience that we all share. So it's, I think that that age difference doesn't only apply to dating, but to gay friendships and, you know, platonic relationships as well. And I think that also... I think that also goes back a lot from my experience with like older, like friendships with older men is just kind of like this connectedness that I think a lot of queer individuals feel within this community where it's like you feel like just like because you are from the same community, there is a lot more of a sense of community. And it's, I I don't even think that much about like being friends with someone based on their age. It's more just about like if you get along at all. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, um, like I've got some really good friends who are like, and I'm sure you guys do too, who are in their like 40s and 50s, and I don't even think anything of it because they are good friends and we have a great time together and we have this connection that we've talked about. But then I go to like talk about them with my parents or like mention, like my parents will be like, oh, like, what are you doing this weekend? It's kind of weird to be like, oh, I'm going over to somebody's house for dinner who's, you know, your 18, age. Who's 50, yeah, literally, who's, you know, 10 years younger than you. Who was in the graduating class. Like, yeah. 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 And in my mind, it's totally normal because there's nothing, there's nothing sexual about it. There's nothing predatory about it. It's not. Right we have a shared experience and even like even people even older gays who have kids like there's still just a connection there between us intergenerationally that doesn't make things weird right and i think you know that that so many straight people grow up with their behavior modeled out for them by straight adults within their family and i think a lot of queer kids are left kind of grasping for that an adult presence that can teach you this is how you can grow as you age right you know there's not necessarily a blueprint or yeah we don't have as many examples and I think that that again like I've said I don't you know I had incredibly supportive parents and a supportive family but you know there still wasn't someone I was like I I can kind of mirror my life off of yours and I think that that's where these intergenerational queer relationships come in because it's you know you if you weren't lucky enough to have a queer family member you probably didn't see what queer adulthood looked like and so now i think it's important to kind of yeah you know see that modeled within your community and to increase representation yeah like because there's also like nothing when we were growing up about like older just normal gay people on in the media really Mm -hmm. yeah but and even if we did see something that was like normal or like modeled after heterosexuality and that like timeline that we've been talking about, like there are so many different types of like relationships that you can have and ways that you can live your life that queer people get to experience that, you know, are not based on that like heterosexual romance, you know, two kids in a white picket fence progression. Mm -hmm. And so having these relationships with older, older gays, opens you up to all the different possibilities that you can have for your life and I think that is like one of the most beautiful things about being queer is that you know like we've really established like you know you're not you're not tied to that progression narrative and yeah yeah and by having those relationships you get to explore and learn so much more than like you know we even see on the media I also do want to jump in and jump back. I think that it's also important to note, like you were saying, that a lot of the a lot of the time these relationships, there's literally nothing sexual about them. And I think that it's a horrible misconception and a horrible stereotype that we grew up with. That it's like gay men only the only reason that they want to have relationships with each other. And I say gay men specifically, but again, like me, this this would encompass all queer individuals. That it's like the 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 basis of relationship isn't necessarily sex. It can just be friendship, but I feel like it. That's not as talked about as regularly. Mm-hmm. So I just want to throw that in there for everyone listening because, I mean, even I sometimes catch myself, catch myself 
like falling into that mindset of like, oh, this older person's trying to talk to me. Like, I wonder if they're trying to hook up with me. And then I'm right. Like, it's not necess- It's not about that. No, but there definitely are times where like there is an, a one-sided attraction that is the basis of the like initial encounter. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if you're at a bar and like some older person like is generally or genuinely coming from like a place of like, oh, like this person seems nice or whatever. Like, I don't think it's crazy to like kind of jump to conclusions in that case because like w- like why do you talk to strangers in bars yeah. there's kind of an established narrative there regardless mm-hmm. of who you are but like when you're with groups of friends and you know you meet a like a mutual friend or like a friend of a friend or something like that and they happen to be older like those have turned into like some of my like some of me and dave's like closest friends yeah mm-hmm. that is true that the setting of course plays a part yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you meet somebody at Paradise Basement, I can't imagine it's the same as meeting them at T at P Town. No, <laughs> absolutely. But that that also, of course, is just that happens with anyone. That that that's of regardless course. of age. Right. When and I'm meeting people at a right. bar, it's not like, oh my god, like we should just like go read books together. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's what you want to go to bars for. More power, power to you. <laughs> no, it's true though, and I think you know that. I think that, I'm. I didn't have a thought there. <laughs> the one for himself pinging around. I mean, I, I I haven't had an original thought since 2014 regardless, but, but that specifically, I didn't have anything to add. Jumping back, I mean, actually, Matt, do, is there anything else you want to talk about that? Anything that comes to mind? Um, I mean, there's plenty more that I want to talk about, but I can we can always just like... Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about, about really quickly, Jack. Do you feel like there was a big change in you when you came out? Yes. I know that that's like a, so, that's a very like blatant question, but right. Well, and I'll tie back to that, but you bring out coming out, right? I think that I have no idea what informed this more than I, you know, know what informed my being gay. But I always knew that, you know, I was typically <laughs> attracted to people who were at least a couple years older than me, right? So mm-hmm. So when I was in college, it was tough for me because there were very few people around me that I, very few men around me that I found myself attracted to. And I think that kept me closeted for longer because Mm. one, I just was not day to day around people that, that, that I found attractive. But I, aside from that, I think there was another layer of shame. And I think it's because of this narrative, right, that these older men are predatory and that, you know, the young men and older men involved together in any way is something that's you know shameful and i think that kept me closeted for longer right because Mm. the people that i in my head wanted to date i was like oh there's like there's a shame and not and i don't think it's only from the straight community right i think the gay community while it's it's coming baby steps every day i think there is still this kind of a, a little bit of shame among some circles about you know younger men being involved with older men um definitely so so i think that that gay childhood is unfortunately defined by shame in a lot of ways and i think that that was just another layer that made things um take a little longer because as i said as far as the spectrum for for i think our generation goes i i was a little on the later side of coming out but yeah. um there's no right but in terms of yeah sure. i don't want you to make it seem like there's a specific timeline right yeah. true and it, like and maybe I'm like hoping compared I'm, to your friends at the compared time to, maybe? right especially at times right. like because right. like you were saying you were surrounded by so many people who were like so mm-hmm. open the entire time which i feel like actually almost can make it harder yeah yeah i think that part of tufts too and like 
you know, our experience going to a very welcoming college. And that was part of my experience was that half of my closest friends going through school were gay. And I just, I, I think I'm a kid, like, not like write a book about me, but I'm a case study on like that, you know, all these external factors can be so welcoming. And if you can't overcome those, you know, you can't come out until you overcome those internal hurdles, which for me, you know, was compounded by the men that I was attracted to, to some degree. Um, in terms of, did I change once I come out? Um, I've been told by many sources that I got a lot funnier, but also a lot dumber, which <laughs> I can confirm um, that, you know, I, would I mean, corroborate I'll leave you... those sources. I yeah, wouldn't say that yeah, you're like... dumber. I mean, I would, if I'm joking with you, I would say that you're dumber, but I think yeah, that you're yeah. just more comfortable with yourself. Like, I think you're more okay with being stupid. And I think you're more okay with like being your like dumb, goofy self and not necessarily like I don't think you lost brain cells, but I think you're just more, more okay with like. I mean, that, well, I I did, but that's the poppers. That's not the coming out. <laughs> no, and to your point, right? I think it's you know, and I don't think, and you know, this is my personal experience, right? But I didn't feel like I was sheltering a huge, huge chunk of myself when I was closeted, right? I felt like I was the way I interact with the world, except for the things that are you know explicitly homosexual, were pretty much the same but but you're right I think that even if it's I'll admit right that you know the the teenage years were definitely difficult with internalized shame once I got to school you know the shame was kind of gone I just could not find the white right way to finally address it and be open with myself but um yeah I think that hiding any part of yourself dulls your personality mm. No, I would agree. No, I totally, I think you're on the right track because I think the same thing happened with me. And I don't want to, and I think that's a big thing and this is totally unconnected, but I think an important part, right, is that your queerness is not defined by whether you've come out or not, right? And you're still just as valid of a member of the queer community, whether you're closeted or not. Yeah, that there, you know, I can't lie and say that for me, there was not an element of my personality that I feel like was, I was able to express more freely due to coming out. And that was all, you know, again, internal comfort with myself. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think I went through pretty much the same thing. Um, I used to, I've always been pretty outgoing even before I came out, but I just found that after I came out, there was just like a a no holding anything back kind of thing. I didn't have to like think about what the impact of what my words might say there was nothing to hide anymore so it was just kind of like opening up and being able to say like i i I felt like i was able to like find my sense of humor really Mm -hmm. or like really be able to indulge myself in the things that i was truly interested in and be able to talk about those things right to a degree and i think that's because like when you are still in the closet it's not necessarily that you're a less like a less rainbow part of the community but so much of your energy is going towards like constantly thinking like oh well how is this going to affect how people see me like oh can i do this will this look like mm-hmm. you're just you're constantly minimizing parts of yourself so that you don't necessarily stand out as much and you're not really you're not really yourself until you come out i don't think and i i, I asked that because your whole self your whole self yeah you're you're like a a, a like part of yourself is showing for sure Mm-hmm. But I ask that because I, I feel like I saw a huge change in you senior year. 
when you... What do you think? I want specifics. You want specifics? Gas me up. <laughs> I mean, I talked to Matt about this a little bit when we were talking mm-hmm. about who, like, who he wanted to be guest, and I feel like your, your story of, or like my experience with you from when you came out was just so interesting because I don't, like, we weren't really that close. I don't think, I right. personally don't think until senior year, we were friends, we were on the no, same that's team, point. and we like, we hung out, we had fun, but it was never like, I don't think we had, like, as an electric of a friendship or anything. And right. I don't want to say, like, finally, he's coming to the bars with me, so now <laughs> now we're friends and we're having more fun. But I've, I felt a change in just you kind of as a person. Right. And I think, personally, for me, when I was closeted, as much as I, I will honestly say that, you know, my closest friends, some of my closest friends were gay, I feel like I always kept people at arm's reach just a little bit, as in just to the point where... I did not associate with that group as in like, oh, these are my gay friends and I am one of them. Like, I think there was always a little bit. And again, that's what Aaron was saying, you know, kind of humor and conversation wise, right? You know, if if you're always doing these little mental checks of, you know, how do I make sure that I am not buying fully into association with this group of people, that's, that's, that's not 100% authentic and I think that for me again to finally be like these are the people I want to dance in the corner with like these are the people I want to go out to bars <laughs> with right it's like I think for me finally to be like not that I just have to be like yes of course I have like these close best gay friends I'm like they are my best gay friends and I am also gay <laughs> with them and we go do gay things together like, <laughs> gay activities yeah. um I think that was important and I think I think we're constantly growing and I think one one thing I find a little problematic is this idea of, like, the construct of coming out as this, like, big debutante moment, right? I think there's a lot more attributed to... You didn't walk down a staircase to... in a white gown, Jack? <laughs> no, but, like, and I, like, everyone, like, I love a good spectacle, don't get me wrong, but, um... <laughs> but I think that, you know, this idea of coming out as this one-time thing is... puts too much pressure on people who have not made that big step, right? And, you know, it's... And I feel like it's an overstated thing, but you know, you're always, as a gay person, you're always coming out, right? You're always telling new people, you're entering new circles, deciding when to disclose this stuff. Thinking of it as a more continuous process takes the pressure off of having to Judy Garland style spin around the hills and, you know, scream it from the mountaintop. And I think that that, that Do puts you a mean lot of pressure Julie on. Andrews? Yes, he does. He's such I a bad guy. Outed as a covert heterosexual. <laughs> Every single man that you're interested in who listens to this will never speak to you again for mixing those two up. Shame. My name is Aaron Idelson. I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, God, they will never forget me. Oh. Forgive you? No, they'll forget you. They just won't forgive you. Oh, what was his name? The guy in Sound of Music? The, like, the Nazi? Or whatever. No! <laughs> Ralph. 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 He was no. way too young for Jack to be interested yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if he yeah, watched no, it when he was, he was five. Girl, he was 17 going on 16. Absolutely not. The uh, dad. Who was the head of the house? Oh, uh, the Von Trapps. Yeah, it was like Colonel Von Trapp. Captain. Captain. Oh, Captain. Got promoted. <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow. No, I mean, I feel like at some point this conversation has to come to like childhood sexual awakenings with. I mean, look. We can. I, I'm going to tell you who mine was right now. And it was Tom Scavo from Desperate Housewives. Yeah. 
Ooh. That's a good one. That is a good one. I'm trying to think of. <laughs> yeah. Also, <sighs> Christian Bale in The Dark Knight when that came out in eighth grade. Ooh. I know that's like, I guess, a little late for sexual awakenings, but. <laughs> Matt's like, I knew I was gay, but it reaffirmed it. <laughs> yeah. God, I'm trying to think of like some specific ones. Shame. I like. Bear Grylls. Bear, Bear Grylls, anytime, like. I'm no naturalist, but he's like, that man was in the Arctic, and he's like, I need to take my clothes off to conserve my heat. And I'm like, yes, I'm here for it. Meanwhile, he's in the desert. He's like, I also need to take my clothes off to <laughs> decrease perspiration. I'm oh like, God. no, increase the perspiration. Like, keep it going. <laughs> Jack's um, like, my perspiration is increasing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, you just gave me a weird one. flashback. When I was like... like Four, I remember watching George of the Jungle, the one with the like actual person. Ooh. Oh, oh yeah, uh, Brendan oh. Fraser. Yeah, he was so built. Like yeah, no, and little four year old me was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't get what it is, but cool. I want to be George of the Jungle. <laughs> I like like, please cancel me for this, but like Billy Ray Cyrus, like growing up watching Hannah Montana. I'm hanging up the call. Like, yeah. No, this okay, is over. You lost me. You lost me, girl. Jack. Jack's Instagram will not be linked in the podcast. <laughs> Probably because I've fled the country. Stop. Oh, good lord. Oh my goodness. Okay. I think it's. Yeah, I think something else that we should point out here that is, but it's also a sign of just larger society that we were kids in is that every single person we just named was white yeah yep and i think that it's slowly maybe starting to get better where slowly very slowly are finally starting to see like black and asian Mm. and east latin latino latinx yeah, Latinx and Middle Eastern yeah. men who are objectively sex and subjectively very attractive, finally starting to kind of get their, get what they're owed. But I think the progress that is being made is a lot of times those men tend to be very close to Eurocentric beauty standards. Yeah. So there's still lots lots and lots of work to do there all of the people and the actors that were considered hot or desirable have always been white men who are conventionally attractive with muscles and great smiles but have never had standards of beauty that we see in other areas of the world Yes, Again, I think media like, has yeah, yeah, it's yeah. True. Like, media has I think come a long way to our present day, but especially us all being in our mid twenties, like Like the people that we all listed, it was two thousand. It was nineteen ninety nine, two thousand to two thousand five. Right. And I'm not, you know, absolving the current day of the problems that, that it is still facing, right? But I think back then even more so, right, you know, this I think it just cements how important representation is because you know we we talk about these childhood sexual awakenings for a reason right you know these are people that are flashed before us that kind of are our first introductions to these like somewhat romantic and sexual feelings and i think that by having such a high percentage of those being these you know white muscular you know masculine men i think that it's or only seeing one type of man 
Right, exactly. It's just, again, if that's, if that's what you're shown and that's what you're bombarded with as a child, and again, not saying that we don't have to go into the fact that, you know, heteronormativity, these men were not technically marketed to us, but... Like, <laughs> Doesn't matter! <laughs> right, but, it, but it like, they still... They still, they still they, did, we still but, bought um, it! Yeah. <laughs> but, um... But you're right. It's just, again, you know, at such a formative age, I think that that's, you know, we shouldn't have to do this unlearning so far into the future. But it's in those formative years, if that's what you're being shown so many times over and over in the screen, that's going to inform who you find attractive. And that's even ignoring, you know, for for non-white gay men growing up, not only who you find attractive, but, you know, do you are you able to find and consider yourself attractive? And I think, you know, that's why. Again, we we are hoping to push closer and closer to to more representation of all all different types of men and different types of people on the screen. Definitely. Something else, kind of switching gears a bunch, slash going back to what we were talking about. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the importance of intergenerational relationships in the gay community. Mm-hmm. Um, I and you know, as I talked about in our intro episode that I am really, really interested in talking to older gay men and hearing stories that, you know, we're not told often and learning our own history. I think something that we don't talk about nearly enough is that, you know, we, our community lost an entire generation Mm -hmm. of artists, of writers, of yeah. like lawyers of businessmen uh, or business women, business people, just people in literally every sector, people Incredible everywhere. That's yeah. Yeah. And all those stories with it. And there is like serious PTSD from mm-hmm. the, from the AIDS crisis in our older generations. And, you know, they see the world very differently than we do. You mean right um, now because of what's going on with Corona, right? Well, well both, um, okay. you know, I know that like I've heard from a lot of older gay men who have, lived through the AIDS crisis that like once prep came out like they are like they don't understand why people would then go on to like have unprotected sex like they there is that is still for them that is not their like fail safe you know they lived through something that's really unimaginable and then this drug comes out that is able to stop or stop the um, contraction of HIV. And, I mean, you know, asterisk, I'm not a PrEP expert. They they aren't really comfortable, and they're kind of shocked that people are just like, oh, okay, yeah, no, we're fine. We can go back to having unprotected sex. So careless sex and, and carefree. Yeah, it's very triggering for them. And that being, sorry, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what PrEP is, PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's a daily pill that you take that is... I want to say 99% or 95%. I think a little It's like 99.9. Oh, is it really? Okay. It's really, Uh, it's very high now. Percent effective at stopping the transmission of HIV AIDS. If you take it every day. Circling back, I think these intergenerational friendships are super important because they allow us to learn about, you know, where our community has been, kind of the things that we've gone through that we aren't you know we're not feeling those same feelings today or we're not experiencing those same things so i think it's super important and helpful for these friendships to exist because in an issue like this like 
so many people our age and even a little bit older who didn't live through the AIDS crisis, you know, prep is just kind of like made it seem like it never existed. Yeah. Well, and also I think that it's important to note that it's like, I feel like all of my gay sexual health learning happened because I like taught myself online as I got older. Like, I don't think that this is, this isn't talked about nearly enough in our public education system. A lot of people don't really know what happened. I mean, maybe it's getting better now, but I know that when I was in, when I was in health class in eighth grade, it was very glazed over, not really talked about. I mean, I still meet people sometimes, most of the time it's like straight women who like think that you can get AIDS. I'm saying this in air quotes for anyone who's, for the people that are listening, can get AIDS from a swimming pool or a toilet seat. Like there is so much misinformation out there. It's absurd. Tying back to like the bigger idea of, you know, just, you know, needing to pass down our history. Like we're not taught these things in school. And again, I don't, hopefully things are different, right? As we say about a lot of these things, but I know that, you know, my first real exposure to, you know, the, the magnitude of the HIV AIDS crisis in the U S and, you know, events like Stonewall, that didn't happen in a classroom. That was, you know, mm-hmm. once I came out, seeking out that information, right? That's not, yeah. you know, that's not necessarily shown point blank to all students in the U.S., right? And so I think that, as Matt was saying, that's as much as, you know, progress has come a long way, there's our government and our school system is not going to be telling us all of these things, right? And so, yeah. you know, it's important to seek out people who have, firsthand experience with this stuff because in some cases that's the only way you're going to get exposed to this kind of information you know and I'd also like to say right we we have seen how in this time of COVID obviously our our government has completely to to use a heterosexual euphemism fumbled the ball I think on like it's like football or hockey whatever it is but um sports stereotyping (laughs) Jack (laughs) Especially if this information isn't getting passed on, there's nothing to keep history from repeating itself, right? And, you know, I think in COVID, you know, we've, our society and this world has gone through these kind of pandemics before, right? But when stuff has enough time between it where people who live through it forget and they're not able to pass down that knowledge of, you know, what it is like and how to behave during something like that. We kind of, there's a reason a lot of these things happen every hundred years, right? As the living memory goes away. And I think that it's important for, for gay men of all generations to either pass down or receive the information about things like the AIDS crisis, because there is unfortunately no saying that something similar won't happen in however many years, the queer community will be left to fend for itself, you know, and if that knowledge, we are in a much better position to fend for ourselves if we have that collective knowledge passed down. Yeah, and I think that it's been interesting, especially recently, like seeing the media that's come out, the, the thing that comes to my mind right now is that that comparison of the New York Times when, when America hit 100,000 cases or 100,000 deaths from COVID, and the entire paper was like, just the names of the people who have passed away. And it's this powerful, insane media. And then there was the, the juxtaposition of in the AIDS crisis in whenever that paper was from 1980s. And it's like on the 16th page, there's like a headline that's in size 12 font. That's like, oh yeah, by the way, like 80,000 gay men have died. You know, celebrities and, you know, people have, and I think this was, 
you know, maybe more towards the beginning, but, you know, painted COVID as this great equalizer, right? Which, again, we can look at the HIV AIDS crisis and we're not, you know, don't want to continue the narrative that it was just, you know, gay men that suffered from that because that, that wasn't yeah. the case. But, but, you know, COVID is not, you know, equal. painting an equal brush across America, right? The, exactly. you know, the rates of death among black Americans and Latinx people is, you know, it's, it's absurdly, you know, disparate between the white communities. I think that that, I think that's where the comparison can be made, right? Is that there are these yeah, portions I, of yeah. the population that, mm. that the government is, is basically treating their deaths as, you know, more acceptable. We can look at COVID and AIDS and under that same lens kind of, there are subsets of the population that the government is less willing to help through the crisis. In that way, they are comparable. I think mm -hmm. the, the fact that they are ravaging minority populations is comparable. And I think it's important that we kind of embrace those people who lived through the AIDS crisis who are kind of, you know, undoubtedly still dealing with the PTSD of, you know, having mm -hmm. with the majority of your friends just drop like flies. Right. Um, and I think that is our job as young queer people to make sure that those like older generations are feeling welcomed and embraced and loved in the community that they have like literally fought for the big thing and i i know i just said it is that like with older with older queer people who have you know lived through not even just hiv and aids but just like a country that didn't accept them or right. embrace them the way that we are be beginning to be much more embraced and accepted now it's to bring them in to this new world and make sure that they are feeling like they are as much a part of the community that exists now because as we do them. yeah right exactly yeah, totally. and that's the thing like how how terrible would it be for someone who basically, you know, built this for us to then feel, you know, turned away like at the door out of, of their own community? Right, exactly. And I think that, you know, a lot of what we've talked about, about these relationships with, you know, older generations, we've talked, you know, kind of, you know, among the intertwining roles of, you know, sexual relationships and friendships, I think that it's just, you don't have to to want to sleep with everyone at the bar, right? And it's, you yeah. know, these spaces, while they're in some ways kind of more sexually charged, that is not their only purpose. Young white gays do not disparage this older generation being in these same spaces as you, right? And, you know, making the assumption that it's predatory or that it, they're only interested in sleeping with you in some way. I think those are assumptions we have to get away from because what it turns into then is, you know, making people uncomfortable in the spaces that they built. Should we end on saying, like, what's the gayest thing you did this week? I think the gayest thing I did this week was earlier this afternoon. Um, so, as I mentioned before, I live with one heterosexual man and one homosexual man. Um, and as I was wrapping up work, you know, I heard our carbon monoxide detector go off, which is not a good sign. Um, and so... I did not know what to do off the top of my head, so I looked it up online, right? And it's clearly exit the house and, you know, call the fire department. So we all, we gather up ourselves and we leave the house. 
and we're all kind of talking. We're like, oh, I definitely like felt a little lightheaded, right? So like 20 <laughs> burly Boston firemen show up to um, tell us to tell us that our device was malfunctioning and that there was no carbon monoxide in our apartment. I think the gayest thing I did this week was my subconscious creating these medical symptoms that brought firemen to my door. Oh my god. We should have saved you for last. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Matt, what's the gayest thing you did this week? I mean, I'm still, like, alone with, well, okay, alone with my family, like, in the woods. Oh, I, the gayest thing that I did this week was I was running, and the end of my run, I, like, yes, I gave up. Okay, it's (laughs) fine. A remix to heart to break by kim petrus i decided to put on and i did not run but i strutted <clears throat> back to my house and no it definitely didn't look good but it was pretty gay <laughs> kim petrus and avoiding athletics gay <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, aaron what was the gayest thing you did this week um the gayest thing i did this week is i was walking home from a friend's house at like two in the morning after after a night of revelry, and as I was walking home, I found a light-up Razor scooter. But it was safe revelry, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, like, a, 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 at a house with a small group of people. So I found a light-up scooter, and I scootered home in the middle of the night. It was fantastic. <laughs> oh, honey. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to our podcast again this week. Thank you guys for having me. Um, if this blows up and you are... 40 plus, just, you know, slide into his DMs. Slide into those DMs. I'm ready. Jack, where can they find you on the internet? Jack underscore Benoit underscore on Instagram. Um, And if not, just toss your scruff into Boston and I'll be somewhere. (laughs) She'll be there. (laughs) Aaron, where can they find you? Everything for me is Aaron Idelson, A-A-R-O-N-I-D-E-L-S-O-N. And you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Maddie Rohr, M-A-T-T-Y-R-O-H-R-E-R. And you can find this podcast at at Queering the Air Pod on Instagram. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, to, for listening to this episode. Thank you, Jack, for giving us your time and your expertise and your brain. Of your last three brain cells. <laughs> you girls can have what's left of it. Thank you for having me here. Thank you, everyone, and my apologies for having to listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, too. Jack's dad. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, dad. <laughs> but everyone else's dad, feel free to contact me at the end. <laughs> Bye. Bye.